0: Blog Talk Radio. Oh. So now we got
1: Blog, we Blog Talk, live. Facebook. Facebook Live, and cat. Kitty Cat. Kitty Cat. <laughs> That's really worth attention to. You're going to join the show tonight? You haven't been on the show in a while.
0: Contemplating. We're She's thinking like, about get it. get the
1: fire going, I'll be on the show. Yeah. <laughs> It's getting chilly out there, so...
0: Not chilly enough tonight to lay a fire in the fireplace, but maybe next time in a couple of weeks. No. But yeah, so we haven't been here in three weeks. Yes. Now, we're, it's been three weeks because October, and uh, uh, it was a busy October, which is good. It was nice to kind of have a little taste of normalcy after the last... Uh, time like
1: day, month?
0: Yeah, the time that we shall not speak of.
1: Yes. That. That time. But... Yep, yeah,
0: we are here. We're still sitting, and uh, yeah, we're ready to go ahead and dive back into it with some uh, with some fun haunted history stories again.
1: Yeah. So we're talking about underground catacombs, vault, tunnels, all that fun jazz tonight. Yeah. Because underground.
0: Because why not?
1: Yeah. Spooky things.
0: Spooky things underground, but
1: yeah. So it's been uh,
0: yeah, Let's see. Gosh. Quick shout out to our. Uh, our friends, like, uh, because we've been been busy for the last couple weeks. We went out and hung out with Transcend Paranormal on Saturday night.
1: Yep, and did the investigation over at Beaver Dam Depot and North Animal Battlefield and over at the Tavern. Uh, So very fun out there. I definitely, we still need to listen to our evidence. We've been bad. Yeah. Um, We will do that this weekend when we have four days off. Um, but uh, definitely want to get back out to the battlefield and, and
0: walk that during the day. Pretty neat place. One yeah. of the ones that we have not visited at all before going out there in the pitch dark for an investigation. So yeah. we'll go out there during the day sometime. And, and check it out. Yep. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a little over a week past Halloween. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Oh, yeah, let's see. We, gosh, since the last time we did the ghost walks at night with Hanover Tavern. So mm-hmm. we were up there for that a couple of weeks ago. Had a good time with that.
1: Yep. Chris has fun doing that all three nights. I went up for one night. Um, Lots and lots of tours. And we've got, of course, our new tour coming up this month, um, the John Marshall and Court End Ghost Tour.
0: Yep. So partnering with the John Marshall House for a 30-minute indoor tour of the John Marshall House and its haunted history. And followed up with a 45- to 60-minute outdoor tour with us, uh, touring the rest of Court End and checking out the rest of the neighborhoods. Yep. So... Looking forward to that. That first opportunity for that is a week from this coming Saturday. Yes. November 20th. And if
1: anybody wants to come on my tour, I'm giving the first one, 7 o'clock.
0: Yep. So only uh, only a few spots left for that. That, that one's uh, kind of filling up. Because
1: yep. so. we are limited on the space uh, with John Marshall's restrictions right now. Yep. So, so definitely come and check that out. Uh, Jeffrey will be giving the second tour.
0: Yep. So it so, be a lot of fun to be had there. Anyway, yeah, now that we're a little caught up with how the last things have been for the last few weeks, <laughs> we can dive into the subject matter at hand.
1: Yes. Yeah, you want to start with?
0: Ooh, do I get to read you my... Get, I get, you get to do... I get to read the introduction I wrote? Yes, you do. Yay. <laughs> so, all right. I, I have my turn
1: This
0: one? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. But humankind has long sought to dig down into the depths of the world to create vaults, caves, tunnels, and caverns beneath the ground that we walk on. These subterranean networks tend to lie forgotten under our feet, as life above ground churns along at a hectic pace. Many do not realize that just under the surface of the world we know are complex realms which have remained hidden in the uh, in the dark from the eyes of mankind. These underground places can sometimes hold mysteries just as bizarre and fascinating as any of the mysteries to be found above ground, making the deep, dark recesses of our planet and its claustrophobic atmosphere a place where mysteries gather and lurk out of sight. Creepy stories uh, about catacombs and other subterranean chambers abound, often because it's easy to imagine the short step from exploring the underground to one's final resting place.
1: This equivalence
0: gives rise to horrifying and sometimes spirited tales that strike not only fear, but also intense curiosity into the minds of mankind. Thrill-seekers often enter the dark recesses of catacombs and hidden chambers from around the world, but not all of them come back out. This all only serves to amplify the mysteries, fears, and fascinations that surround the unknown worlds that lie under our feet. Little disclaimer about tonight's episode, tonight's tales are not all uh, paranormal in nature. Uh, Some of the facts about the real-life events that surround these underground places can be just as chilling, if not more so, than any spirited encounter.
1: Yes, our first one is actually a legend. Um, There's possible truth to it, but it has become a legend in its own right.
0: Yeah. and before we dive into that, hello, Patrick. Hi, Donnie, and hi, Mom. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, we've got the gangs all here tonight.
1: So we're going to have fun with this one. This one was an interesting one to um, dive into research-wise, because there's a lot of catacombs out there, there's a lot of vaults out there, and there's a lot of caves out there. Um, And we've covered a couple of these already. We've already talked about the Edinburgh um, catacombs. We've talked about the um, mammoth cave.
0: We'll be touching on the... Yeah. Edinburgh again tonight. So Edinburgh
1: is gonna... incredibly haunted. Yeah. So I found more stories. <laughs>
0: and there will be a couple of couple of very well-known ones. That, you know, Edinburgh, we will be getting to Paris, of course. Because mm-hmm. I couldn't do this without talking Paris. Yeah, you have to. If you're going to talk the catacombs, you have to talk Paris. But we are getting ahead of ourselves. we gotta stop to got a couple stops to make before we get there.
1: Yeah, so we're going to jump over to Ukraine. I found one in Ukraine that was a legend. I thought it was pretty cool.
0: You want music? You can do it. I'll, okay, I'll kick things off then. So, first stop takes us halfway around the world to the far edges of Eastern Europe on the shores of the Black Sea. Here you will find the city of Odessa, Ukraine. Now, Odessa is home to the largest set of catacombs in the world, something which I did not know. Everything else pales in comparison to the span of the Odessa catacombs. They span over... 1,500 miles of dark tunnels that only the most experienced of subterranean explorers should venture into on their own. Getting lost in these catacombs is almost certainly a death sentence, as exemplified by the tragic tale of Masha, an innocent partygoer who ventured down into the depths with some friends, took a wrong turn or two, and got lost forever. Now, the legend of Masha might only be that, a legend to serve as a warning to those who might feel bold enough to recklessly explore the dark recesses on their own. But the story is believable enough for many to share the tale first and worry about the facts behind it later. According to a catacombs explorer named Eugene Lada, who brought Masha's story to the English-speaking world, the tale begins late on New Year's Eve in 2005. It was a foggy night with temperatures hovering around freezing, Masha went out with a large group of friends to celebrate and, well, probably get drunk. Mm -hmm. It's not certain if they were former students of Odessa's school number 56, but according to Russian news sources, that's where they found the entrance to the underground. Clearly, this was a bad idea. The only Ukrainians to have any official business down there are workers in active mines who still dig for limestone today. However, that hasn't stopped many people from making the same trip Masha apparently made. There are stories of industrious winemakers and mushroom growers who go down there regularly to leave their product to age or grow, confident that no one will find it and interfere. We don't know for sure what Masha was looking for when she went into the catacombs with her friends. They could have been looking for treasures that night, considering that there are rumors that somewhere below School 56, there's a solid gold replica of the Titanic that's said to be a few inches long, I don't know where that rumor came from, but No, but I mean, gold, you're going
1: to go digging for it, yep. right?
0: So, or maybe they were searching for something much more macabre. There is a rumor that the catacombs contained the remains of murdered Jews from World War II, and there's also evidence that they were used for the summary executions of Nazi soldiers. Regardless of what they were searching for that night, the catacombs are not easy to navigate, especially when you're drunk like Masha likely was that night. They're not the safest places to be either. Some sections regularly flood with groundwater, and others have ceilings precariously propped up with ad hoc support beams, or they've had their ventilation systems completely dismantled. They're also a pretty good place to stage a murder. In 2015, a guy in his 20s was sentenced to reportedly murdering his teenage girlfriend in the catacombs with an axe. In 2011, a male murder victim was found by chance in the catacombs after he had been dead for three to six months. But being murdered and having your body dumped in the catacombs might be considered a luxury holiday compared to what is rumored to have happened at Masha. The teens are said to have stayed down there all night. In the morning, they braved the morning cold to get back to hearth and home, but in their foggy states, they absentmindedly or maliciously left Masha in the catacombs. If Masha had wandered off, even just for a minute or two, it's easy to imagine that she could have moved beyond screaming distance. Perhaps her path forked a few times and she lost track of the pattern. In her likely inebriated state, each, each step she took would have been a step towards a gruesome and horrifying fate. If the area near School 56 had no groundwater or clandestine wine or mushrooms, there would have been nothing for her to eat or drink. There also would have been nowhere to stay warm since that area is not so deep enough for it to have been much warmer than the chilly surface weather that night. It would have been utterly black, but even with a light and a map of the catacombs, it would have been hard for someone ill-prepared to make it out, because the maps that exist are a maddening brain-like scrawl. Assuming Masha brought a battery-powered flashlight or lantern down into the depths, it would have died after a few hours, making it harder to continue the search for warmth and water. If she was lucky, she died quickly from the cold. If it was too warm to freeze and she was exerting herself trying to survive, dehydration would have become severe enough in perhaps two two to three days before the symptoms became debilitating. She would have gotten delirious convulsed, and slipped irre- irreversibly into a coma around the third day, not that she would have noticed the day's passing, she couldn't have lasted down there more than a week. During the time that she was lost inside, her friends didn't try to find her, likely out of fear of the punishment that they would receive for exploring what they, where they hadn't belonged in the first place. About four months after New Year's in April of 2005, word sprang among, spread amongst cave explorers that there was a fresh body down there. Photos were taken, the most famous of which shows three blank-faced boys who look like they're in their early teens, posing like they'd just stumbled upon the body in a narrow curved section of the cavern. In the photo, Masha is unidentifiable beyond simply being a human. She lies on her left side, legs curled like she's sleeping, while that upper half of her decomposing body has lost its form altogether and has begun to turn indistinguishable from the cavern's yellow limestone floor. Lada claims that two years passed and no one retrieved the body. He recalls that a piece of writing by a friend he says is a quote-unquote famous journalist was delivered to government officials. It's not clear what the journalist wrote, but Lada claims the government got moving and removed the body less than 24 hours later. Pasha Pogovin, who identified himself as a veteran of a, a Ukraine anti-terrorist operation based in Odessa, claims to be the one who personally headed the body in that photograph out of the depths. His recollection of the event is a little different from Lada's. According to Pogovin, someone else had vanished in 2004. Janice Pen, uh sorry. sorry. <laughs> the son of a newspaper magnate. Pogovin recalled that Janus's father was offering a reward to anyone who could find his son, and some people he called diggers or manual laborers had tipped off the authorities about a body or body two or three miles from an entrance to the catacombs. With his heart set on a possible reward, Pogovin says he crawled into the depths and eventually stumbled upon what he called bone soup. Ugh. He wrapped the remains in a blanket and dragged it out of the recesses of the catacombs. He then dragged the body to the police medical examiner's office about five miles from the entrance Masha was rumored to have used. Unfortunately for Janice's father, a DNA test proved that the remains were not those of his missing son. To Begovan's distress, the remains were of no value. The story of Masha stands as the most likely explanation behind the remains that were photographed in the catacomb. Perhaps in an attempt to dissuade further exploration and exploitation, the organization behind the Odessa Catacombs website states that the story of Masha and the body that was found is all a lie, an elaborate hoax. Lada, for his part, stands by his story and doesn't blame the Odessa Catacombs for wanting to stay out of the fray. Lada even claims that he is close friends with the person responsible for the website that that calls Lada a liar. Lada understands their desire to steer clear of this grim piece of business. The photo of the body, it seems, will never be positively identified, and it immortalizes the last moment of someone's life. Whether that person is an innocent partygoer or a Ukrainian drunk who took a few steps too many into the darkness, it sends imagination soaring because it conjures the exact kind of nightmarish, lonely death that everyone fears the most. Part of
1: yeah. me wants to see these caverns, part of me wants nothing to do with them.
0: As I said, kind of a grim tale, and not even ghost to be found. Yeah. Sometimes truth is just as scary as the ghostly tales that can accompany it. But this next one, this next stop, we do have some ghostly tales to go. And this is a place that's a little closer to home. And uh,
1: near and dear to our hearts because we love in here. Yes. So we'll have to see if we can maybe hop on one of these tours. All right, so we're going to hop down to Savannah, Georgia, uh, of course. Uh, it's in the same time zone, thank goodness. <laughs> and we can get there in a half a day drive. But uh, it's full of narrow streets that are shaded by the long reaches of tree branches, making for somewhat brighter comparison to the tunnels that lie below Savannah Streetscape. The tunnels play host to darker chapter of Savannah's past, which in turn presented with more, presented us with some of what we have to share with you here. Now there there was a lot of stories about this, and I had to separate the leaf from the shaft in this one. So we'll start with the Pirate's House, because that's the one everybody knows. There's a tunnel running out of the Pirate's House. Uh, it's a 250-year-old property that remains one of the most visited buildings in Savannah's historic district. Aside from its ties to the Pirate lore, there's another reason why the Pirate's House continues to lure locals and visitors alike. And that's because of the tunnel that allegedly runs from its basement to River Street. Or some people say. Realistically, it was probably intended to be the bar's sewer, but that's a theory that isn't as enticing as the legend. As the story goes, once the preferred drinking spot for sailors and the rough and tumble folks of the 19th century, the Pirates House was the perfect locale to catch people unaware seamen and criminals would drink at the bar demanding another and another until they passed out. When they woke up, they found themselves on a ship in the middle of the sea. Some claimed the kidnappers were pirates while others labeled them as sea captains unwilling to waste time in recruitment.
0: Nevertheless,
1: the unsavory patrons were dragged down the run cellar into the basement of the pirate's house before being brought through the sneaker tunnel and out onto River Street and put onto a ship. Today, the Pirate's House is said to be one of the most haunted locations in the city. Thanks to the murders, the fights, and a lot of stolen criminals that once drank here, current patrons of the bar have witnessed seeing apparitions meandering through the upper floors, and uh, as well as hearing phantom footsteps crowding around. And down in the basement, well, it's said you can hear the sound of people moaning through the spirits of these old sailors that are as though the spirits of these old sailors are reliving their kidnapping over and over and over again for all eternity. Are we getting your request for the Yuna?
0: Somebody's been summoned.
1: Oh, dear. Yuna's been enjoying the the box of clothing that we're going to be donating. We perched a closet.
0: It's a big
1: soft box. It
0: is. It's softer than my lap which is why you're probably bolt out of here in just a minute.
1: And the boys, well, they're still not allowed in the office right now. So they're in their room right now. Not too happy about it, but. No, they're not. <laughs> they'll get some more runaround time later. Maybe yep. when they're a little older, we can trust them more. They'll be in here. Your grandma says hi. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now we're going to go over to Factors and Walk. And for those of you who have never been down to Savannah, Factors Walk is right down by the riverside. It's where a lot of staircases go down that are in no way, shape, or form to code today. There are signs everywhere warning you about walking up and down these steps. And with good reason. I've tripped on them. I don't know how many. Days. They're fun steps. They are very fun steps. But dangerous. Not dangerous. good for short people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. right.
0: Historic.
1: They are very historic. I She's know. had enough. <laughs> Now moving along to the mo- uh, much less known part of Savannah's underground, we have Factor's Walk. The name for the cotton factory, excuse me. <laughs> really now? Apparently my coffee did not last this long. Um, it's made for the cotton factories uh, of the 19th century, which made the infidel Savannah rich and famous. Factor's Walk remains one of the least discussed locations in the city. Those who were enslaved were brought into Savannah by being led into the buildings of the River Street. Behind those buildings lay Factors Walk. Now, the homes of many of the sealed off tunnels that uh, would have descended under Bay Street into the basements of the buildings that loom overhead. Buildings like Moon River Brewing Company, which is now regarded as one of the most paranormally active locations in the city, would have had one of these tunnels. For the brave souls who still wander down along the walk, Heavy wooden doors that once opened into the dark tunnels beneath the street harken back to the 1700s. Dark shadows have been seen darting in and out of them, sometimes even follow the living to wherever they might go next. Doctor's Walk is a symbol of Savannah's dark past, and its ghosts are all too eager to remind those who visit that the beauty of Savannah was built on the backs of those whose liberty was lost. Now, moving a little further away, uh, closer to one of the places that we love to stay uh, is the Old Chandler Hospital and Forsyth Park. Chris and I usually stay about a block and a half from uh, Forsyth Park where we go down to Savannah. And uh, now, now, of course, the tunnels are out at the riverfront. Just to the east of Forsyth Park lies the Old Chandler Hospital, now part of Savannah's law school. It has a grand history all into its own. It was in 1876 when one of the largest and final yellow fever epidemics devastated the city of Savannah. Thousands lay dead or dying, and there was no cure for yellow fever, unless, of course, you have a miracle. If you did manage to survive the often fatal disease, you were strangely immune for life. During this last yellow fever outbreak, the story is told that there were a great number of people who died in Chandler Hospital from yellow fever, so many, in fact, that those tunnels were actually dug, and secret burials were made throughout the surrounding areas. One of the secret burial grounds was a tunnel that ran underneath Forsyth Park. Records about this are incomplete and inconclusive, but it does gives you something to think about next time you're strolling down the beautiful and awe-inspiring path. Yeah, I mean you're basically walking on the dead anywhere you are in Savannah because of yeah. the, the massive pits they dug for the dead.
0: One of my one of my favorite stories that they they told us when we were I think we we're on a tour down there is that um what is it, the old colonial cemetery yes yeah. um so the colonial cemetery used to be just a little bit bigger than it currently is today um, and uh, some of the uh, land was taken up for basically expanding the street yeah. and under the street they have. Um, utility tunnels, you, you know, like the sewers and they run all the cables and stuff underneath the street down there. And if you go down, these old tunnels are brick-lined tunnels, but periodically in the brickwork, there is a larger box, which is essentially the end of a coffin. And
1: so. occasionally the ends of the coffin might break open a little bit, maybe a hand falls out. They have somebody who's... um on staff to deal with that anytime they come across the bones. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, they have they have an archaeologist on yep. staff, I think, because
0: bones. Because bones. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Enjoying your mm-hmm.
1: all right. So now we're gonna pop across the pond, the big pond, and go that's over to England because I found some more fun stories.
0: And bouncing back and forth a little bit. On yeah, we song. didn't
1: we didn't put this in any order. It's just how I found okay. it.
0: Yep. So. Uh, this time we are going to the Draklow Tunnels.
1: That is Dra- not name.
0: Excuse me, Draklow, Draklow Tunnels, which is yeah, gotta love the name alone. Now
1: get a nest dragon in there.
0: Now the Draklow Tunnels are a vast sprawl of tunnels lying beneath Kingsford Com- Country Park in Staffordshire, England. The tunnels spread out in a grid pattern under the earth for about three and a half miles and cover about 250,000 square feet. They reached sizes of 16 feet across by 18 feet high, and this subterranean complex was originally designed as an underground secret factory for the Rover Car Company during World War, World War II in order to build parts for the Bristol Airplane Company. Construction took place from 1941 to 1942, with the tunnels being blasted directly into solid sandstone after which crews of workers would go about the perilous process of going in to clean out the rubble and shape the tunnels into smooth passageways and rooms. The end result was a vast system of underground tunnels and caverns that could support a small city of industry. When Rover moved in and launched operations in May of 1943, between 500 and 700 employees were assigned to work in the depths of the tunnels. (laughs) Then, Rover used the Draculo tunnels for manufacturing up until 1946 when reduced hostilities caused production to be halted. Yet, this was not the end of the complex's operations or usefulness. From 1950 to 1958, the tunnels were used for the production of various parts for meteor tank engines, as well as for the storage of tools and engines. The Drake tunnels were eventually acquired by the Ministry of Supply and later by the Ministry of Storage. I didn't know it was the Ministry of Storage.
1: That's like the Rummer requirements. They're
0: they're they're next to the Ministry of Magic. Yes. Yeah. Okay, got it. So anyways, with the rising of the Cold War in the late fifties and sixties, much of the world was living in fear of nuclear apocalypse. This was a time when governments around the world were scrambling to protect themselves, and England was no different. The government went about setting up top-secret fortified bunkers around the country from where it could remain in operation in the event of nuclear strikes. The drain tunnels were perfectly suited to, to this role, and so they were reconfigured and converted into a nuclear bunker, which was completed in 1961 and called the regional seat of government for Civil Defense Group 9. The underground bunker was designed to sustain up to 350 members from all the departments of the government, as well as liaisons from the Army, Navy, and Air Force. The complex situated within the Drake Tunnels was meant to be part of a wider network of 12 such other facilities scattered around the country, a nerve center from which the government could retain control even in the face of nuclear catastrophe. The bunker would see further upgrades and refurbishment in the 1980s with new cutting-edge technology and was rechristened Regional Government Headquarters 9.2. It would remain a highly classified operation right up until the end of the Cold War in 1990. Now, at the end of the Cold War, many facilities that had been constructed for the purpose of preserving society in the face of nuclear annihilation were decommissioned or dismantled. The Drake-Low Tunnels and their top-secret nuclear command center were decommissioned and sold to the public in 1993. Upon the handing over of the tunnels to the private sector, there were various plans proposed to demolish the tunnels and turn the area into a residential and commercial center. But these were met with opposition from a group called the Drake-Low Preservation Trust, who argued that the site held historical importance and furiously uh, resisted development projects there. The Low Preservation Trust has continued to fight plans to redevelop the tunnels in any way in order to preserve the historical significance that they hold right up until this day. The site has been restored and turned into a museum open year-round to the public for tours and is in fact the largest underground open uh, space open to visitors in the entirety of the UK. When walking through the dark, dank, claustrophobic passageways of the complex where sounds bounce around in odd ways and the dark seems to congeal and twist into strange shapes, it is easy to get the impression that this is a haunted place. And this may, excuse me, this may indeed be the case. We're just having an evening. <laughs> yeah, <I'm> talking. <laughs> During the original construction of the tunnels, it is said that at least seven people lost their lives in the dangerous undertaking in a variety of tragic accidents. In October of 1941, a roof collapsed during blasting of the tunnels, which crushed three workers under tons of rock. In another accident, two exhausted construction workers were riding one of the conveyor belts used to carry rubble and loose rock from the blasting of the tunnels to the outside world when they became caught up in machinery and were mangled to death. Above ground, it doesn't seem like it was a much safer place, as one woman by the name of Mary Ann Bredel was struck and killed by one of the site's many dump trucks, and a security officer at the site was also killed in an auto accident as he was leaving for the day on his motorcycle. Additionally, after their decommissioning and before their subsequent passing into private hands, the tunnels were rumored to be used for, wait for it, anybody want to guess? Satanic cults, which were said to hold rituals, conduct human sacrifices, and even open up doorways to other realms or dimensions. Ah, oh, the Satanist. We couldn't go an episode without having to mention the Satanist. Oh. Sorry.
1: They like dark and dang.
0: Yeah, I guess they do.
1: Anyways, we digress.
0: Now, the tragic deaths and the spooky stories have served to imbue the depths of these tunnels with a certain sense of dread, and could explain some of the many paranormal phenomena reported from here. Since the tunnels became open to the public, there have been numerous accounts of a wide range of strange going on in the Draco tunnels. These include an acute feeling of being watched, being pushed or tapped by unseen hands, and even having hair pulled. Um, There's also sudden drops in temperature, inexplicable myths, anomalous sounds, such as heavy footsteps, disembodied voices, Or music which comes over the wartime speaker system, even though it has been out of operation for decades. There are also many reports of seeing shadow people, apparitions, and even strange beasts prowling through the dim confines of the tunnel. The tunnels are also supposedly home to a regular ghost that goes by the name of Oswald, which has been reported throughout the tunnel complex. The spirit reportedly displays a variety of behaviors ranging from playful poltergeist activity to more sinister actions such as pushing, shoving, striking, and pulling hair. (laughs) This particular entity is believed to be a ghost of one of the workers who died here during construction some rather odd sightings have occurred above ground in the area of the tunnels as well. One sighting from 1989 described a family coming across three hooded figures which seemed to be hovering along, around three feet above the ground.
1: Why well, I the that everyone's always hovering. <laughs> mm, I don't know.
0: Uh, maybe I have to ask the people that wrote Dune. That floating guy in Dune. That seems a little out of place. Mm-hmm. I again digress. Psychics who have come to investigate the phenomenon here have reported that there is a presence not only of the spirits of the dead, but also of powerful demonic energies deep in the subterranean t- darkness. Much of the ghostly activity within the Drakelow Tunnel seems to gravitate around Tunnels 1 and 4. And it is from here that one of the most well-known accounts comes from. One evening in 1993, a caretaker was inspecting an old, decrepit kitchen in the vast underground complex when he allegedly heard distinct 1940s foul music wafting through the air from the direction of Tunnel 1. The caretaker thought that perhaps another worker had left a radio on somewhere, so he went to investigate. As he approached the tunnel, the music became progressively louder until it suddenly and inexplicably stopped as he entered Tunnel 1. A complete search of the area turned up no radio, and the caretaker came to the conclusion that the only possible source for the music would have been the World War II-era speaker system, but this had not been functional since the 1950s. In another odd case, the caretaker was doing his rounds and locking the complex down for the night while accompanied by his two German Shepherd dogs in 1996. In the vicinity of Tunnel 4, the two dogs became extremely agitated, barking furiously as if there was an intruder somewhere in the dark. The caretaker investigated the place the dogs seemed to be fixated upon, but there was nobody there. The animals continued to bark for some time at what appeared to be just the wall. The dogs eventually calmed down, but as they entered tunnel four proper, the dogs began growling and snarling viciously at something further down the tunnel. But the caretaker could not at first ascertain that anything was there to make them suddenly become so aggressive. The man pulled at his dog's leashes and tried to move them along, but they refused to budge or stop their incessant barking and growling. The caretaker then, reported, then reportedly took one more look down the tunnel and saw an ominous mist floating along the dark passageway. Thinking it to be indicative of fire, the caretaker was then astonished when the dogs tore free from his grasp and ran to a blast door to scratch and bite at it in a terrified panic. When the blast door was open, the dogs bolted to the caretaker's car and whined to be let in. The caretaker locked the two dogs into the car and went back to see if there was indeed a fire, but he found no sign of any such thing and indeed nothing out of the ordinary at all that could explain the dog's bizarre behavior. Tunnel 4 has become known for instilling an inexplicable sense of deep unease, disorientation, dread, and bouts of panic, with many shaken visitors complaining of feeling particularly uneasy in this area of the complex. It is unknown if the Ministry of Defense ever encountered such unexplained occurrences during their years of operation there, and if they did, it seems like these accounts are just as classified as pretty much everything else, that we're not in there. In recent years, the strangeness surrounding the Draco tunnels have been have made the location a haven for psychics, paranormal researchers, and thrill-seekers. There are even regular ghost tours offered to anyone willing to brave the constricting dark tunnels and the possibility of being accosted by creatures from beyond the land of the living road trip road trip When do we go on that tour <laughs> oh. Patrick did I
1: you on our reference Ah. Yes, yeah, Una is being very sneaky. She's darting in and out of things cause <laughs> we have more things around that she can play with right now. Yep.
0: Does the Saintness open up a portal hell down there? Yeah. <laughs> Who knows?
1: They gotta dug something up.
0: Very first book. Not exactly sure how to make a film out of the book. It doesn't seem like we translated. The movie is pretty good.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously, a cliffhanger because there's more than one.
0: And I think they're already planning on making this people.
1: Yeah, so. 2023.
0: Yeah, so it'll be on its way. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to
1: that. Good. But moving along. Yeah, and we're going to come back to another place that we need to get to, which is Portland, Oregon, and going to the catacombs there. hmm
0: The so catacombs. Yeah, hidden, hidden t- tunnels and catacombs of yeah, Portland, Oregon.
1: So Oregon's Shanghai tunnels, much like Savannah before, Portland wanted tunnels underground to deliver supplies from their ships in their harbors. Human nature being what it is, they decided some other not nice uses were found for these underground tunnels and spaces. There are opium deaths, prostitution, illegal booze storage sites during Prohibition, and other dark activities that made their home in these places in hope of making fast money. Among the, the most harrowing activities to take place in Portland's tunnels, the Shanghai and the sex slave trade led to the deaths of many under the street, and by some accounts continued all the way until 1941. Even trafficking business dried up during World War II, and it never returned as ships started using unionized merchant marines, and the high demand for prostitutes disappeared. However, from 1850 to 1941, it was a different story. The gold rush was in full swing, taking all the cheap labor away from the shipping business. Ship captains certainly didn't want to offer more pay for sailors because of the lack of cheap prospects. The idea of having free labor became very tempting. These captains hired vicious thugs called crimps to spot men who were new to town, become friendly with them, buy them a drink, drug their drinks before giving it to them, and then, with help from the bartender, they would drag and drop the unfortunate men down into the tunnel. There was, of course, a trap door that would open by the push of a button. About yeah, $50 was paid for each new recruit. That's a good chunk of change back then. That is. Cramps would cram them into small wooden cages with no food or drinks, mostly in the tunnels close to the water. After several days of captivity, they would be given something to drink that was full of drugs, making it easy to move on to the ship's that they had then been sold to the various captains. If kidnapped and drugged men actually woke up, they would find themselves chained in a ship far away from shore and with the option to work or get thrown overboard. Friends would also befriend new young women in to the town, drug them, drop them down the trapdoor, and imprison them into the tunnels as well. After being kidnapped, they would be kept in isolation in a closet like box. Within 8 to 48 hours, they would be broken in spirit and convinced They would never see their families again. In the perfect state of mind to be sold into sex slavery for the rest of their lives. The lives that were often shortened by disease and violence. In the early days, demands for prostitutes high, both in private bars like the White Eagle Saloon and some hotels like the Upscure Urchin Hotel that were conveniently located within access to the tunnel. In the 20s and the 30s, Prohibition changed the vice trade. The speakeasy crowds moved underground into the basements of bars and tunnels themselves, perhaps coming the next easy targets of the Crips and the other gangsters.
0: These underground
1: bars offered a black market liquor, gambling, and sensual comfort as well. Price made it harder for the vice businesses, but barrels of booze continued to work their way through the tunnels and the underground speakeasies throughout town. During this time, while some brothels were still located in the tunnels near the underground bars, the most unfortunate women were kidnapped and sold and transported to ships that were destined for other port cities or towns and even overseas. By 1941, that the human trafficking of men and women became unprofitable, and these practices stopped entirely. The tunnels were finally padlocked to keep vice industries out of the area, and they stayed off limits for many years until the Cascade Historical Society discovered them, rented a small part of the tunnel, and they now get tours. Just because the training may have ended doesn't mean that all is now peaceful in these tunnels. People who have experienced the captivity, the suffering, and death sometimes can't let go of their ordeal and restlessly haunt the place of their captivity. Any quick questions? Okay. Okay. Now, the first story we have is that of Nina. Life as a prostitute slave was full of rest. It was life-threatening moments. Being brave enough to be a whistleblower and telling outsiders surely was a death sentence. In the early 1900s, one young sex slave, Nina, was approached by missionaries who promised to rescue her from her horrible life if she told them who kidnapped her and who was her owner. She complied but was killed and thrown down the elevator shaft of the merchant hotel where she worked before she could be rescued. Today, Nina still haunts the restaurant that stands on the site where the since-demolished Merchant Hotel lobby weren't stood. She has made the current building that houses the old town Pizza her home for over a 100 years. Her picture hanging on the wall, and there's a brick that's located in one of the walls of the old elevator shaft, now part of a booth with her name etched in it. She's regarded by many as a brave heroine who dared to turn in her captors and let outsiders know about what was happening. She makes her presence known by appearing as a lady in white or a lady wearing a black dress. She likes to stand on the balcony and makes appearances in the front of the staff and patrons for her personal amusement to allow her aroma of perfume to be noticed by the living and then a ble- brief glimpse of a black dress on a figure looking over a patron's shoulder. In the early morning or closing time when she is most active, floating and moving throughout the restaurant, moving chairs, items on tables, in the kitchen to let employees know that she's there. When it's still, the observant person can hear her delicate footsteps tap across the floor. One employee was alone in the kitchen after closing, finishing up work chores. He heard a soft tapping of footsteps coming towards them. He looked up to see a female form dressed in a long black dress walking towards him. When Nina saw him looking at her, she stopped, regarded him for a moment, before going down the basement steps towards the now blocked off tunnel, where she disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> Boo. <laughs> Water. Water? Something to wet my throat. Thank you. Now there's the Entities of the Shanghai Crew, the Jennifer Joe. This is another tale from 18, or excuse me, 1902. The drugged brutally treated Shanghai crew of the 4 schooner Jennifer Joe died together in the bowels of the ship as it sank with them chained together in Portland Harbor. Starting at the tunnels nearest the water every year on the anniversary of their drowning at sea, they rushed back as a group looking for those responsible, hoping to get justice of some sort. Various witnesses have seen them, heard them, and actually been touched by a cold, wet hand. Now, the crimps are also in the tunnels. During Prohibition, as we mentioned, many monsters and the, uh, would market the black market booze. They sometimes would go into battles with rival gangsters over territorial markets and public places, causing the deaths of not only their rivals, but anybody else who happened to get in the way at the wrong place at the wrong time. One of the most brutal incidents was when the gangsters that ran the speakeasy out of one of the basements located on Burnside Street met an untimely end. Terror reigned when a young or excuse me, when a rival gang showed up wearing stolen Portland police uniforms, armed with Tommy guns and axes. People at the speakeasy and the gangsters who ran it escaped down the tunnel with the killers close behind them. All was lost, uh, when the frightened people came to the narrow to the narrowing of the tunnel. Um, this is where they were massacred without mercy. Some of these deceased miscreants still loom in the darkness as their hulking shadowy figures with burning red eyes can be seen. They're forms of eternal damnation incarnate. For those who are fortunate enough not to see these terrifying figures, they still might see them or some stuff. People get an uneasy feeling as a thick atmosphere permeates some of the tunnels. The feeling of being watched is almost overwhelming.
0: Um, I wonder I mean, that is like almost exactly like the the Valentine's Day Massacre. Yeah. The you know, Capones gang there mm-hmm. gang in there in Chicago. But that's the one you hear about. You don't hear about this, this one. This
1: one, underground.
0: Which basically same MO. hmm Dressed up as cops, they come in and Tommy guns start blazing. Which came first, though? Have to look that up. Yeah. I, I don't know, honestly, because I I didn't even think about that. I didn't put two plus two together until we're sitting here. So mm-hmm. I might have to look it up and see uh, who uh, who came up with the ingenious yet bloody idea first. Do
1: mm-hmm.
0: you want to read about hair? Yeah. No. I get to read about Paris? Yep.
1: You got a tickle in your
0: throat. I have a tickle. I
1: need to clear my throat. throat)
0: Yeah, we promised Paris. Paris. Patty. So, hopping the pond again. This was not intentional. We're just crisscrossing the Atlantic, racking up the frequent flyer miles.
1: I so wanted to go to the catacombs when I was in Paris, and my school teacher said no.
0: That's lame. One day. Now, now the story behind the the Paris catacombs is truly macabre. I mean, (laughs) this this is is something. So, not long ago, as the city of Paris grew, it became necessary to provide more space for the living. Now, to do so, engineers and planners decided to move the mass of humanity least likely to protest, the dead. (laughs) Starting in 1786, millions of Parisian dead from the city's densely packed cemeteries some dating back 1,200 years, were quietly disinterred in one of the largest engineering feats in history, and the remains were deposited along the walls of the chilly, dank passageways uh, lying beneath the City of Light. The catacombs were first cleared in Roman times, with succeeding generations of Gauls and Frenchmen perfecting the Roman engineering. Now, the catacombs are a spidery network that spans more than 200 miles beneath the city streets. One should only explore these passages with experience and great caution. There have been many reports of rash individuals who wandered into the catacombs for a laugh and who have never been seen again. We don't
1: wander into underground caves.
0: That's for the fun of it. Yes. Yeah. The Paris catacombs are, of course, infamous and uh, much has been written about their history and purpose. A million visitors a year are said to visit the dank corridors and to stare at the bones of the long dead. In early days, visitors entered the catacombs through the official entrance known as the Barriere Dientre, or the Gate uh, gate of Hell. Uh, Though now, there is a designated entrance for tourists, and only part of the catacombs are open to explorers. Over the years, many visitors have encountered more than just silence in the catacombs. They've encountered the ghostly inhabitants that roam the passageways and quietly lurk after the tour groups. To some, the experience is completely overwhelming, and tours have been cut short by the growing sense of unease. Photos have revealed ghostly apparitions, and EVPs have been recorded throughout the vaults. According to legends, those who have dared venture into the catacombs after midnight reportedly hear the walls talking to them. Disembodied voices try to lure adventurers further into the tunnels, encouraging them to lose their way and suffer a slow and agonizing end. There are rumors of people wandering off into the maze-like tunnels and going mad. In 2010, cave explorers recovered video footage from the 1990s that they claim showed a man wandering lost through the dark corridors until he finally panics, drops the camera, and bolts off into the dark, never to be seen again. Though others doubt the authenticity of the recording. Either way, it's a rather chilling kind of piece of yeah think uh think Blair Witch Project with the distinct possibility that it actually was kind of real something like that maybe yeah, maybe now the footage is said to have inspired the 2014 catacomb horror movie as above so below which I will say I have seen it and it's not a bad flick if you have the stomach for horror films just saying
1: I haven't seen
0: it. No, because, well, I usually watch horror movies after you go to bed. Yep. Not
1: my thing.
0: Typically not your thing. Now, with this in mind, it's probably best to stick with an official tour group. Not probably. Just please do that. Yeah. Do not. Don't Don't, don't
1: add to the ghost play activity.
0: Yep. They got plenty to talk about there. Now, one of the better-known spirits of the Paris catacombs dates back to the French Revolution because, well, the French Revolution, of course. A man named Philibert uh Epsert, Epsert, yeah, Epser, Epser, we'll go with Epser, was dormant at the Val de Grace Hospital. And uh, on a mission to fetch a certain liqueur from a big seller, Philibert actually ended up entering the pair of catacombs instead. Yes, oops. Walking around the pitch black catacombs alone with just a single candle, Philibert became lost and confused. Gilbert's candle eventually went out, leaving him alone in the inky darkness. At this point, it was virtually impossible for him to escape the the, the catacombs. I have a bad typo in there. I have no idea what I was supposed to say. Uh, His body was not found until 11 years later when a group of cataphiles, as they are called, uncovered it. Those are
1: the ones who like to go exploring caves, by the way. It's a cataphile.
0: These cataphiles identified Philibert by the hospital key ring hanging from his belt. Uh, uh, Philibert is buried in the catacombs in the exact same space where he he died with a tombstone describing his death. Cataphile and catacomb folklore tellers say that each November 3rd, Philibert's ghost haunts the labyrinth of the catacombs. A less paranormal but incredibly bizarre event took place in the catacombs in 2004. A group of police officers was exploring a part of the Paris catacombs restricted from public access, and they began to uncover very strange things. First, they found a PA system with pre-recorded guard dog barking noises playing. Then they found 3,000 square feet of galleries wired uh, wired for phones using pirated electricity. Moving on, officers found a bar, living area, workshop, lounge, and even a cinema with room to seat 20 people. The cinema seats had been carved into the stones of the catacombs. The creepiest part was they saw cameras on the ceilings recording them. The police squad went back to the area a few days later with a larger team to further investigate, but everything they had discovered from the phone lines to the Paris Catacomb Cinema had vanished. The only thing they found, a note that read, ne search pa meaning do not search.
1: That's creepy.
0: Yeah. Pretty
1: awesome, though. Yeah. It's that's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, but creepy. But ne pa yeah. Don't catch me. Don't search for me.
0: Yeah. So we're not hopping back across the Atlantic with this next stop.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we're going a little further.
0: We're going south. So. We're going south. We're jumping continents.
1: Another place I want to go that my father has been to and I have artifacts from. Oh, am I reading? Do you want me to? You can. Are
0: you okay? I'm scratchy. Ah, okay. We'll save your voice. Thank you. So this uh yeah, different continent. This time we're moving south to hit Africa, where we will find Wadi Seban El Miluk, which translates to Gates of the King. This is a valley in Egypt where, for a period of nearly 500 years from the 16th to 11th century BC, long time ago, tombs were constructed for the kings and powerful nobles of the 18th through 20th dynasties of ancient Egypt. The valley stands on the west bank of the Nile across from modern Luxor, which was ancient Thebes, within the heart of the Theban necropolis. The Wadi consists of two valleys, the East Valley, where the majority of the royal tombs are situated, and the West Valley, very originally named, but appropriate. It works. The official name for the site in ancient times was the great and majestic necropolis of the millions of years of the Pharaoh, life, strength, health, in the west of Thebes, or more usually, Tasikamak, the great field.
1: So much easier to
0: say that. I think I got the pronunciation fairly right on that. I think I did. Hard to say.
1: Okay, the Valley of the Kings.
0: If anybody is fluent in Egypt and would like to hit us up after we're done talking here this evening, I'm willing to listen. (laughs) The Valley of the Kings has been a major area of modern Egyptological exploration for the last two centuries. Before this area was a site for tourism in antiquity, especially during Roman times, this area illustrates the exchanges in the study of ancient Egypt, starting as antiquity, hunting, and ending as scientific excavation of the whole Theban necropolis. Despite the exploration and investigation noted below, only 11 of the tombs have actually been completely recorded. The area has been a focus of concentrated archaeological and Egyptological exploration since the end of the 18th century, and its tombs and burials continue to stimulate research and interest. In modern times, the valley has become famous for the discovery of the tomb of Tutankhamun, uh, with its rumors, of course, of the curse of the pharaohs, and is one of the most famous archaeological sites in the world. In 1979, along with the rest of the Theban necropolis, it became a World Heritage Site surprise took that long. Stories of the mummy's curse, or King Tut's curse, excited the world after the discovery in 1922 of the ancient pharaoh's tomb. Lord uh, Carnarvon, Mm -hmm. Carnarvon, a British sponsor of archaeology in Egypt, died shortly after attending the tomb's opening, inspiring speculation that supernatural forces were at work.
1: So for those of you that might be familiar with the name, this house is the one that's in Dalton Abbey. It is Dalton.
0: That's the same family. Fun fact. Fun fact. Fun
1: fact. They have some of his findings in the house, by
0: the okay. way. Isn't it rumored that his dog, even though he was back in England, also died? Yeah. Like at the same time, yep. Lord Carnarvon yep. killed over in Egypt.
1: Yep.
0: Howled, and just abruptly killed over. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. The Valley of the Kings is believed to be haunted by multiple pharaohs, including King Tut himself. It's said that when excavators opened a new tomb, they released the spirit of whoever was in it. Paranormal sightings that have been reported by watch guards include the ghost of Akhenaten and a pharaoh on a chariot being pulled by black horses. Cursed or not, it's always best to use caution and respect when exploring the final resting places of the ancient dead.
1: I've done quite a few shows recently about, like, going in and, and following the archaeologists as they're trying to find these students. Uh and it's such a limited amount of time they have to actually do this, where it's safe to do it, mm-hmm. but it's fascinating to watch. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I definitely want to get down there at some point. Do an Nile Cruise. And... One day. One more. One day. All right. Ah, uh, you wanted to read I don't it. I want to. Girl. That's fine. <laughs> ah, that is fine.
0: That would be uh <laughs> Cataphile. Not what I was thinking. I was thinking of people obsessed with kitties. No, <laughs> nope, but that is uh makes sense. I, I can understand that. Mm-hmm. Uh oh gosh. Oh, whoop. Uh, whoop. Uh, come on, cooperate. No, nope, not go cooperate. Ah, yeah, so terrifying massacres either way, referring back to yeah. uh before. I would have found that lane, They're too. referring
1: to not going into the catacombs.
0: Ah, yes. Uh, they featured the catacombs on an episode of Scariest Places on Earth. Yeah, yes. that definitely justified. Documenting a man that went, went in to solve a mystery. By the end of the episode, the guy was so disturbed by both the horrors of the catacombs and how easy it was to get lost that he basically swore never to go back there again. That doesn't start. No, that makes sense. I would much rather add to the paranormal activity there is one of living or I guess it would be normal activity, but then again, nothing about me is normal. <laughs> oh, Patrick. <laughs> You're a good company. Uh, yes, and yeah. Glenn, if you can, England, Wales, Scotland, Ireland.
1: All of them are fantastic. I forgot all of them. The like three of them. Yep. Yeah. Well, no. Two. two. I haven't been to
0: England. And dogs really are man's best friend. One of these days I'm going to totally going to die trying to pet a hellhound or serverless. You want a uh, hellhound, brother or sister? Isn't that what
1: we're called a boy? She's very right friendly. Okay. Oh, ah, Lulu, Lulu came
0: out. And you can barely see Lulu's butt on the edge of the screen. All right. Let's, uh, let's
1: talk, Edinburgh. So, um, of course. Chris and I have had a chance to visit here ourselves. Scotland is um, Scotland's capital city of Edinburgh is rich with its haunting history. Suffering through the Roman occupation, the Viking raids until uh one thousand 000... Excuse me, thirty five. Bless you. Thank you. Elizabeth,
0: something thirty five?
1: <laughs> one thousand thirty five. Ten
0: thirty five. Ten thirty five. Ten
1: thirty uh, five eighty. when Duncan the became the first king of Scotland. Beneath the modern city streets, of course, you are going to find the truly, truly creepy site, the Edinburgh Vault. Hidden underneath South Bridge, they represent a labyrinth of spooky chambers that have seen a variety of uses, both innocent and, well, not so innocent in their inception. The bridge dates back to 1788, when the desire of the townspeople to live close to the highly defensible Edinburgh Castle led to the construction of bridges to span the vast ravines to the north and the south of Castle. South bridge spanned just over 1,000 feet, standing 31 feet above ground at its highest point, penetrating the bedrock deep as, as deep as 22 feet. This construction resulted in a series of chambered vaults that were initially used as storehouses. By the 19th century, businesses in Edinburgh were booming. Cobblers, butchers, and wine merchants set up their businesses on the surface of South Bridge, hoping to capitalize on the increased traffic across the bridge. One level below, the street house workshops, and below these, world's living quarters. In total, about 120 rooms were created in the arches of the bridge and the levels mirroring the socioeconomic status of those who dwelt there. The lower you live, the lower your station in life. However, several of... Uh, me. however, a flaw at of South Bridge soon threatened the lives and livelihoods. Rain drove through the cracks in the poorly constructed viaduct and carried the city's blood, water, waste, and disease to the lowest levels, where the poor battled to survive. During the Irish potato family of 1845 to 1847, thousands of Irish immigrated to Scotland, thinking only survival forced into the vaults under the bridge, and as many as ten people were living in a single room. The conditions were poor, and the tenants crowded, damp, and barely with any air circulation. Hello, you now. Come here. Come Good on, show everybody your first. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> and just like that, the area quickly became Edinburgh's Red Lake District. Prostitution, gambling, and thriving black market were a place in the Gulf. Murder, rape, and death were rampant as disease, and crime took hold of the area. Some of the most novel characters to lurk in the recesses of the vault rose in response to what would have been otherwise seemed like a positive death. The Judgment of Death Act in 1823 saw a number of crimes punishable by death in Britain drop dramatically. Good news, in theory, but since medicine and anatomical schools were only legally allowed to dissect the cadavers of those who had been condemned to death, this led to an extreme shortage of dead bodies available for research. However, the financial compensation – she's trying again. <laughs> Excuse me offered by medical schools meant that some unscrupulous types soon run away around this shortage of bodies, leaving a rash of grave robbing by those known as resurrectionists. <laughs> Many of these body snatchers found that in hidden from view, the vaults provided perfect place for crime to occur and bodies to be kept. The vaults were located close proximity to the graveyard as well as the medical school, making them exceedingly convenient for this grim activity. Soon, however, instances of grave robbing became so commonplace that relatives would watch over the recently dug graves of their dearly departed and watchtowers towers were installed in cemeteries across the land. The fresher the body, the more money it was worth, and thus it didn't take long for grave robbing to graduate to anatomy murder. Murder committed with the sole intention of providing the remains to medical research.
0: I, I, Yuna's know, doing stuff, because not
1: Eventually, living conditions proved to be so unsuitable for these criminals that could no longer tolerate the poorly circulated air, of sunlight, running water, and sanitation. Things became so bad by the 1860s that most of the vaults had been emptied and filled with rubble. as to uh, prevent flooding and discourage ongoing crime. For over 100 years, they laid abandoned and forgotten. Obscurity ended in 1988 when a man named Nori Rowan owned a bar on the South Bridge, discovered a section of medieval street below his property, and soon an entire underground labyrinth. Since then, the caverns vaults of South Bridge have been open to the public, and the reports of the paranormal activity have poured in. Witnesses claim to feel cold gusts of air. In the stagnant chambers, disembodied voices echo through the dark passages, and some see and sense intangible presences. Some ghosts are bolder, like the spectral child Jack, who grabs Vister's hands in the wine vault. Another more menacing presence is known as Mr. Boots. He's an unkempt man, so his name for his and his name for his tall boots. Mr. Boots is an evil entity who is believed to have murdered a woman and kept the body in his house inside the vault. Today, his spirit lurks in the back section of the vault and has been known to push or throw rocks at visitors, particularly those who dare to sit on a spot where he was rumored to have stashed his body, uh, the body of his victim. Some have claimed to hear his thick, heavy steps on the cobbles and his echoing voice cursing through the chambers. Other spirits in the vaults are no, are known not, not known to be nearly as terrifying. Uh, there's the aristocrat and the cobbler. The aristocrat is a well-to-do gentleman with tall black hat and beard, who is often seen leaning against the wall between the double-heighted room and the tavern. Arms folded, he watches and grins as people pass by.
0: Though not outwardly
1: a mean spirit, his presence is reportedly quite sinister. As for the cobbler, he resides in an aptly named Cobbler's Room. Believed to be a shoemaker from the late 18th century, he described as short stocky wearing a long leather apron and a white shirt is not to smile at people as they pass and is generally felt as one of the more positive presences within the world. Una you
0: know, has successfully stolen the show. Of
1: course. Because <laughs> Una you know, has to steal the show. It's been a very long time since she has done so. Mm-hmm. And since we don't have Zoe here anymore to do the show, she's doing fantastic with her new mommy.
0: Which is it's, it's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the household, Haunts of Richmond Corporate Headquarters, has been much, much more peaceful. Much more peaceful. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was it, wasn't it? That was. Wow, okay. Oh, yeah, geez. And we've been on for over an hour already.
1: Yes, not
0: too far over. No, 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 not too far over. But time gets away. we're
1: talking about fun stuff yeah um well and we'll be back at our normal schedule so two weeks from now um we're going to be doing haunted florida because chris and i are getting ready to go do some legwork for our haunted key west trip yep it's in december 2022 so again if you have not booked for that please do so uh space is limited
0: yeah yeah and uh uh, we will do not necessarily – we're not going to do any, like, big live streams like this while we're down there, but you can uh, – We'll count, probably
1: do some videos and you can, later.
0: Yep, you can count on us popping in every once in a while with a little video or something like that of uh, the, uh, the the treats and temptations that await down in Key West. We're looking forward to it. Yes. Yeah. But before we get there, we will have Haunted Florida for you, and uh, we'll see you again in two weeks. We are go- going back to two weeks now that um, – Now that the the, the October is over. over. Um, I have no idea what that's ultimately going to do to our schedule around the
1: holidays. Yeah, we'll have to see. First, we'll do a a haunted Christmas and bring you some good old Victorian tales. Yeah. Um, And if
0: if you want to come listen to some in person, we're (coughs) actively working on uh, setting up a a Victorian ghost story telling session down at Richbrow Brewing. Yes. So don't know exactly what time that's gonna be yet, but it'll be um right uh, right around
1: Christmas Eve. Right yeah.
0: Not on Christmas Eve, but um getting close. So it'll be uh that that'll be that week and uh we'll be down there and um there's there's no cover charge for it, but we definitely encourage you to uh to to get yourself a little drink while you're there and uh
1: Or a pizza, the pizza's amazing. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, they do have very good pizzas and they just expanded their pizza collection. So but, yeah, get yourself a bevy, get yourself pizza, come on down and uh, listen to a couple of Victorian ghost stories. We're uh, selecting a couple, and uh, we'll probably be talking for about an hour. Yep. Yeah, so looking forward to that. Uh, it was fun when we did that the, the last time, which was two years ago, mm-hmm. uh, in the, the before days when we mm-hmm. did uh, a, um, an abridged uh, telling of a Christmas carol. <sighs> so that was a lot of fun. Yeah. And so we're looking forward to doing this again. And uh, this time, yeah, a couple of um, some of the more, well, at least the, definitely the ones a little bit more on the green side. But yeah. it is a classic Victorian ghost story. So looking forward to that. And we'll bring you a couple on the air as well mm-hmm. because we have a whole collection of them to share. So lots of stuff to talk about.
1: Yeah. And with that, we will catch you all later. Have a fun two weeks, and we'll be back. Yep.
0: Yeah. We'll be good. back in, yeah, be back in a couple I weeks.
1: Florida stories.
0: Yep, and as always, you do not miss, you do not have to wait for these to to chat with us. If you ever want to drop us a note, and chat about something, we are always happy to hear from you. So, um, yeah, go ahead, uh, reach out, say hello, we'll chat,
1: and uh, yeah. Well, we will see you in two weeks. Have a good night.
0: Bye. Night, everybody.